Section 24 of Stories of the First American Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Trevor Johnston. Stories of the First American Animals by George Langford. Mammut, the Last of the Mastodons. Part 1. The van of the mastodon herd had emerged from the water and was entering the woods which bordered the west bank of the Cahoga River. Every motion of the great elephants came under careful scrutiny of one of their number, a solitary giant standing motionless upon a knoll close to the river bank. His trunk extended in a straight line windward. The air came and went through its double-barreled length in deep, noisy sniffs as he tested each breeze puff for sign of danger. Probably no creature existed that a mastodon need worry about, but caution was ever an elephant trait, so Burbo followed his natural instinct and kept close watch. Burbo was the giant fighting bull, leader of the herd. The top of his shoulder hump lacked several inches of rising ten feet above the knoll on which he stood. Ten feet was not so remarkable, and yet Burbo was a plant in bulk not rangy and slab-sided like a mammoth, but a bulldog type with thick-set body, broad hips, and legs like tree stumps. His stout tusks, seven feet of length in the clear, described three or more curves of ever-changing plane, sweeping widely apart in their middles and finally coming together at their polished tips. Burbo was not an expert at figures, but as he watched his followers emerging from the river, he could see that their numbers were few and dwindling fast. Only since the full moon had the last bull succumbed to an old injury. Burbo could take some selfish satisfaction in that, for he had peculiar notions about any animal that had aspired and might again aspire to lead the herd. But now Hasta, too, had disappeared. She was one of the finest cows and could be ill-spared. Burbo ground his teat-crowned teeth with rage at his own helplessness. It was his style of teeth that had wrought such havoc among his people. They were the main reason why the great mastodon race, which once roamed over the country by hundreds of thousands, now numbered less than forty individuals. They could chop and crush, but not grind. Therefore their owners could not eat dry grass, but must depend upon softer and greener food, such as plants, tender roots, or the inner bark of trees. Such food was not of the concentrated variety. A single mastodon's requirements were enormous, a herd's colossal. In times past, the melting of the glaciers had flooded the country and established conditions favorable to the growth of such vegetation as suited mastodon taste and development. However, the lakes and marshes had now dried up, thereby greatly diminishing the supply of green food suitable for teat-crowned teeth. The climate changed, too, for the worse and it was not long before the mastodon found himself in a bad way. It was the passing of a once mighty race. One by one, the old animals dropped off. No recruits were available to restore the rapidly thinning ranks. Thirty years had elapsed since the herd saw its last newborn calf. That calf was Burbo, now leader as well as the youngest of the herd, and its sole surviving male. The big bull had learned too much in his thirty years of life not to understand that there must soon be an end as he stood upon the knoll watching over his charges. He might not fight fate, but he could at least take good care of the few mastodons that remained. 
One by one they emerged from the water. Those in the lead had already climbed the bank and were smashing their way through the underwood. Here a treetop was pulled half over until it arched like a bow, then flew back with the force of a catapult, as a python-like trunk stripped it of its leaves. There the foliage was thrust violently aside before a great tusked head and brown hairy back following close behind it. Others of the huge beasts trailed after, rearing up out of the water and splashing their way ashore. And still Burbo watched and counted them. He who knew nothing of figures counted them in his own way to the very last one, who yet swam deeply with only her trunk tip and forehead appearing above the surface of the stream. Thirty-seven. It had been thirty-eight before Hasta had disappeared. Burbo sighed deeply. It had been a hundred several seasons ago on the banks of the Mohawk, and now only thirty-seven. Cows every one of them, no bulls and not a single calf. The last of the herd emerged, with the water dripping from its vast body in showers. Burbo was prepared to descend the knoll and join his comrades when his sharp ears caught the distant snapping of branches. Some large animal was forcing its way through the forest on the far side of the river. The bull leader became all attention, straining his eyes to pierce the heavy morning mist which the sun had not yet cleared. His eyesight was poor. Mastodons depended almost entirely upon their ears and noses for information, but he could dimly discern a huge figure which had just emerged from the woods and was standing at the water's edge. The unknown's forefeet were in the water. Two curved streaks flashed and a shrill trumpet call echoed and re-echoed across the stream. A mastodon! Burbo emitted an astonished bellow. It could not be possible, and yet work, worry, and a lack of nourishment had taxed his brain heavily. He might have miscounted. His health was not of the best these days. Yes, he must have miscounted. But it was the first time. His head drooped. He looked at the ground. It suddenly dawned upon him that he was growing old. A thirty-year-old mastodon, one who should have been in his prime, and yet he had aged rapidly, the proof of which was that he had miscounted. For such a trivial thing, it affected him terribly. He appeared like one crushed beneath some great calamity. Meanwhile, the uncounted mastodon had entered the river and was swimming rapidly across. Had Burbo looked up, he would have observed that the late arrival was making much work out of that easy journey across the water, much pushing and pulling and apparently useless motions, such as one might expend in towing an inert burden. However, he paid no attention, for he was brooding over his frightful mistake, the fact that he had miscounted. It was only when the newcomer splashed shoreward through the shallows that he raised his head and gazed listlessly in that direction. A cow mastodon was disappearing among the trees. Burbo gasped. What was that small mass trotting on four twinkling legs beside her? His eyes were seeing things that could not be. It was worse than old age. He must be going mad. At that moment a violent uproar arose in the woods, suddenly and without the slightest warning, like a bursting of a bomb. The air resounded with a chorus of squeals, grunts, and bellows, and the crashing of broken branches. What was wrong? Burbo heard the tramp of many feet, the thump, thump of thick sole pads or soft ground. Here and there he caught glimpses of flashing ivory and broadbacks battering their way among the trees. Something had frightened the herd. With a bound he abandoned his post of duty and charged down into the woods. A stampede? 
No, rather a wild celebration. There was no vestige of fear in any of those squeals and other elephant clatter, nor did there appear a single sign of panic in any one of the huge cow tuskers that pushed and pulled those nearest her. The herd was massed in a solid ring with every one of the huge beasts straining to reach the center. Tremendous was the commotion they made. The whole mastodon world seemed to have gone mad. It was some time before Burbo could secure the recognition due him, so great was the crush and excitement. He charged and squealed and bellowed, and it was only after several of the cows had the breath nearly knocked out of them that they would pay him the slightest attention. Voices were raised one after another as the rearmost animals bellowed at those in front of them to stand back and make room. <coughs> Clear a path. Here comes the master to look upon his own. Those in front of the big bull crowded hard to the right and left, thus cleaving a narrow lane through the surging mass. Burbo smashed his way through, leaving many a bumped head and bruised body behind him. In a few moments he was standing within a ring of tossing trunks and uplifted ivory. A forest of tusks raised skyward like curved sabers seemed to flash the message, Hail to the newborn! Long live the king! Burbo's heart leapt almost to his throat. He had not miscounted. Hasta stood before him. Hasta, his favorite and queen of the herd. The seemingly impossible had occurred. A straggler had returned. The bull leader had counted thirty-seven, but he had not erred even though the correct number was thirty-eight. It was enough to thrill any mastodon with joy. The herd recently thirty-seven had now increased its number by one. Even one was an occasion for general rejoicing, signifying, as it did, a halt in the long-continued shrinkage. Burbo fairly danced with delight as the truth dawned upon him. Only a few moments ago the census was thirty-seven, and now most unexpectedly it had risen to thirty-eight. Oomp, oomp, grunted a small voice. Burbo looked down. His eyes stuck out like plums as he stared and stared, as much as to say, Thirty-seven? Thirty-eight? Did I hear someone say thirty-nine? Yes, someone did say thirty-nine, although he who said it was hardly old enough to say much of anything. There, huddled beneath the Queen Hosta's great chest, and apparently much concerned at the commotion going on about him, was a vision bordering upon the miraculous. A baby mastodon. He was a mere atom, viewed from the elephant's standpoint, a tiny two hundred pounder as fat as butter. His feet were like puddings with raisin toes sticking out of them. With his low forehead and short trunk he resembled a large tapir with a very long nose. The tide had turned at last. The stork had flown over the herd and it was to be hoped that henceforth he would many times repeat his glorious performance. Never had the Mastodon celebrated such a joyous occasion, and all because of the newly born baby Mastodon. He is mine, all mine, bellowed the proud mother. May I wither and blow away if any harm comes to him. It is a long, long time since our herd saw its last calf. I have forgotten how long. Does anyone remember? The last calf, muttered Burbo. His voice trembled as he gazed at his first and only child. Yes, I remember. I was the last, and it was indeed very long ago. 
At the sound of Burbo's voice, the youngster looked at him wonderingly out of his small, beady eyes. The big bull shook like a leaf as with a low grunt. His tiny son waddled from his refuge beneath the queen mother and came forward cautiously, and all prepared at an instant's notice to beat a hasty retreat. When beneath his sire's mighty head he stopped and raised his stubby trunk, Burbo bent low. His great tusks encircled the infant's body in a halo of gleaming ivory. His trunk twined about the tiny neck like the coil of a monster serpent. I was the last, he said in a voice so low that few could hear. Until you came, I was the last. May you be but one of many calves, Mammut, first of the new race of mastodons. End of section 24